Hi there, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. This bonus episode of the podcast is part of our Working Through It series, a seven-part multimedia experience of curated content to help you and I work through this time of tremendous personal and professional change. This episode is from part four, but if you're just joining us, you can see all of the content from our previous parts at culturefirst.com slash working through it. While you're there, make sure you subscribe so you can get all of the future parts delivered straight to your inbox. All right, let's get started. Hi, I'm Molly West Duffy. I'm the co-author of No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. And I am working through it day by day and checking in with others day by day, not assuming that how I'm feeling this hour or this day or how others are feeling is the same. So we got to just keep checking in. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to the Culture First podcast. This is part four of our Working Through It series, where we will be focusing on how to face turmoil with emotional intelligence. Now, in order to actually face this turmoil with emotional intelligence, I thought it's important that for this episode, we actually set the stage with a deeper dive into the overarching topic of emotions at work. We're going to be asking and answering questions such as, what are the types of emotions, both personally and professionally, that we see show up at work? What are the rules about sharing them? And are there blurred lines of emotional contagion that we need to be wary of because the workplace is now our home. So to help me answer these questions that I've been thinking about for quite a while, I've turned to an expert and a friend, Molly Westoffy. Now, I first met Molly when she was the organizational design lead at IDEO, a company that I'd admired from afar for a long time, and they got a chance to learn a lot more thanks to people like Molly, as well as working with them at CultureAmp. Now, she's also the co-author of a book called No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. So straight away, you know we're going to learn a lot from her. And finally, a fun fact that you might not know is that she's one half of what I think is my favorite workplace-themed Instagram account, Liz and Molly. Now, before we jump into the episode, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this. You need to stick around for the part of the conversation where we discuss the old villains of the office. Now, you know the ones I'm talking about, right? The loud typing, the loud talking types. We're gonna learn, has this pandemic and everything else that we've been working through forced them to adapt their behaviors due to working remotely? And don't worry, if we're discussing the villains, we're also gonna be discussing the heroes that we need to counteract them. So this is a fascinating episode and we're gonna learn a lot about emotions at work and how we should be handling them. So let's jump straight into my conversation with Molly. So we're going to be talking about emotions at work. And, you know, this is a topic that you're passionate about, I'm passionate about. But I want to make sure that everyone who's listening has some shared context. 
Uh, so that way we all kind of know what we're talking about so that someone doesn't hear this and go emotions at work I'm switching off and hopefully by the end of this episode the naysayers are going to be sticking around and that they're going to maybe have their uh, perspective changed so to do that though we need to kind of actually just name what are some of the emotions at work and the ones if I just like think about them straight away I go straight to the three g's gratitude guilt grief you know, we talk about gratitude a lot. I don't think we talk about guilt or grief as much. And then, you know, fear, exhaustion. So there's some of the ones that come up for me. What are some of the ones that come up for you when you just hear emotions at work? Yeah. So we have been talking to folks in lots of organizations, my co-author and I, and uh, we always start by saying, what is a non-professional emotion that you are feeling right now? And the top answers are anger, frustration, grief, fear, anxiety. And, you know, I think it's interesting when you say like, what are the emotions? Because so for so long, the emotions that we talked about at work were quote unquote professional emotions. And what that means is they were positive emotions. So excitement, uh, gratitude, grateful, you know, all of these things that are, I feel like are, are appropriate to share with your colleagues. And, that's only half of what we feel. We're humans. And so at any given moment, we can be feeling both positive and negative emotions. And I think that this is broken open space to talk about some of the more quote unquote negative or unprofessional emotions. But um, we're not comfortable doing that because we really have never done that in a work context. You know, we might have done that in a personal context. But we don't know how to talk about those at work. And so that's what makes this period really interesting. And I think we'll definitely discuss some of the taboos or things that have stopped us in the past from talking about them. But um, this might be a really hard question, but if there is if there's one emotion that you wish people spoke about more at work, what comes up? I think anything that's unspoken around fear or anxiety are the things that are most sort of easy to talk through with others. Um, you know, I think like there's, there's feelings of anger and frustration for sure, but those can be a little more challenging to work through with someone else. But I think, um, by speaking about fear and anxiety, you shine a light on it in a way that makes it hard to hide and hard to multiply. And so that those are actually the emotions that are most helpful to share with others because it sort of takes the power out of them. Yeah, and I think coupled with fear is like just addressing unknowns and things that make people feel uncertain. And there's so much so much happening right now that makes us feel uncertain. And one of the topics that I've discussed um, in the past on this pod podcast is um, anticipatory grief. So just like this constant feeling of like something's going to happen, I'm uncertain, I've got fear, and you don't even know what you're fearful of. You're just fearful of something's going to happen. And it's a really hard place to perform at an average level, let alone be high, high performing during this time where I know a lot of companies need people to really step up. So I think definitely uh, agree that that's something that we should be talking more about. Yeah, that, that makes me think of, um, so, you know, pre-COVID, we, we talked a lot about belonging and um, you want to feel like you belong in an organization because if you don't feel like you belong, then you're spending some percentage of your brain power questioning, you know, do I fit in here? Am I doing the right things? Am I saying the right things? And as an employer, as a boss, you don't want your 
employees to be spending any amount of their brain power on anything other than doing a good job. And same thing with anxiety and fear or anticipatory grief. Um, and so by surfacing some of those, it's easier to address them. So it's, you know, like, okay, you're feeling like feeling anxiety, maybe about things that I know for sure are not going to happen. Like your job is safe or your job is safe for the next three months or, um, you know, no, you're not going to have to go back to work in the next month. So I think sometimes we get into this space where we catastrophize in our head and we go down these routes of like, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And by sharing those with others, um, others can say like, no, that's not going to happen or at least talk through with you. Okay. So how bad would that be? You know, if that didn't happen. So while we're building some context here for the audience, uh, there's some great terms that uh, you've used in your work that I want to make sure everyone kind of understands um, when it comes to experiencing emotions at work. So I'll start with the first three. We have under emotors, even emotors, and over emotors. Yes, yes. So this comes from an assessment. You can take it on our website, but briefly it is how much do you express emotions? And on that under a motor side, um, if you're an under a motor, you are going to keep your emotions very close to your chest. You are going to be hard to read. Um, people will come to you when they need to talk through something calmly, uh, because you will be able to keep your emotions calm and rational and talk through things. On the other side of the spectrum, we have over motor. These are people who you're going to know exactly what they're thinking. They are very overexpressive and you're going to go to them when you want to get excited about something because they're going to get really excited with you. Um, this is important, like all the time, uh, super important in a remote work and COVID context because number one, just we're all feeling a lot more emotions. And so if you can identify, oh, I'm an over emoter, what you're going to realize about yourself is, you know, we, we all have that like first five minutes of every phone call where we're checking in about each other. That's just like <laughs> part of work now, which is good. Um, but if you're an over motor, you might um, share like a little bit more or a little bit longer than others about how you're doing. And you just want to be aware that you're not burdening others with with those emotions. And if you're an under motor, you might find that you really would just rather skip ahead and talk about the work because you're just tired of talking about how you feel. Um, and knowing that like it is helpful to be a little bit vulnerable and share with others what is going on um, as you feel comfortable so that they can have the, the full context which I think beautifully ties into one of the next terms, which is around emotional norms and I think like setting some context. So, you know, definitely I'm a big fan of making sure there's check-ins at the start of meetings and like having a human conversation first before you look at numbers or results or the thing that you're trying to get done. But I think you also need like a little bit of context and one that I use is, um, you know, like for this check-in, like please share in an out breath. You know, if it feels like you've, you've taken four breaths to like get this thought out, it might be time to pass the mic. Um, and, you know, you can make physical gestures in an office to like pass the mic, but now virtually you kind of need to like anticipate that a bit more. So that's, you know, one potential an ex example of an emotional norm. How else do we th should we be thinking about emotional norms? Yes. Um, I'm going to steal that. That's such a great cue. Um, so I think starting with that, I also think, um, these, this doesn't always have to be in group settings. So leaders I've heard of 
calling, you know, depending on the size of the company, calling each person individually to check on how they're doing. So what that's doing is creating a norm that we care about each other and we check in personally. There's also um, an emotional norm around how much people ask for what they need. So sharing, um, hey, you know, I need an emotional health day. I'm going to take this day or um, I'm dealing with this at home. So I'm actually going to turn my video off. So, you know, sometimes you just ask for those things and you don't share why. But I do think it is helpful to share why, because we are humans. And so the more we can say, like, this is going on and therefore I'm, I'm asking for this or I need this, especially as leaders, we can make it OK for others to do the same. Um, and this is part of a broader conversation that I'm having with a lot of organizations about permissions. Um, so we need we ha- we need to have a more explicit set of conversations with our employees about permissions, because in an office context, it's really easy to pick up on those because you're walking around and you're seeing, oh, it's OK to go to lunch. It's OK to take a walk during the middle of the day. It's OK to pop into someone's office and we don't get to see any of that. And so we have to make those things um, a little bit explicit and, and emotional norms are a big part of that. Yeah, I've, we're going to touch on this more, but um, symbols, permissions, like over-communicating. Uh, on a, another episode, um, I spoke to Tanya Luna, who's the uh, co-founder of Life Labs um, and a mutual friend and anyone who knows that her always always lights up. And um, we we spoke about making these months that we're working through this the month of just because. Like, just say just because. Just keep saying like, hey, like I'm turning my video off because of this or like, I'm, um, you know, n- not as present in this meeting because of this. And um, another checking question that um, I've asked, um, you know, or asked yesterday actually was, you know, what's pulling you from presence right now? And mm. like just naming the things, like let's just name it as opposed to like trying to push through this. Let's work through it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, I, I think as specific as you can be. So one of the things that we talk about a lot um, with companies is, That when you ask, how are you, that's actually a really difficult question to answer because that can change hour to hour, day to day. And I actually don't think a lot of us are know how we're doing. Like it's just, um, you know, we're figuring that out. And so um, we have, um, you know, a list of more specific questions that that you can ask. Um, and it's things like, what's one thing that I could do to help you? Um, or, you know, um, what are you doing to invest in your resiliency right now? And how can I help with that? Um, what kind of flexibility do you need right now? Is anything unclear or blocking your work? And by making that specific, people don't have to like rack their brain for like, Oh, like, how am I? I don't even know, but it's like, okay, yeah, here's one thing I can do to help, you know, get more support. Yes. And how are you also, uh, means over motors could take the whole meeting. So we have to be, we have to be careful with that. Um, so we touched on, I guess, vulnerability and it being a, an important topic to be speaking about a lot at work. And so like at culture amp, one of our values is actually have the courage to be vulnerable. And when a lot of people talk about vulnerability, when they read that value, they look at the vulnerability piece. And we know that based on research, vulnerability does lead to a greater sense of trust. 
But I think what people can overlook with that value, both inside of Coltramp as well as just anyone who hears it, is the courage part. You know, it takes courage to be vulnerable. What advice do you have for under-emoters to have the courage to be vulnerable? Mm. Yes. Um, So a big thing that has helped me personally is finding examples of leaders who I have currently work with or who I've worked with in the past who model this for me. And um, I think part of this is finding leaders who are similar in tendency to you. So finding someone who's an under motor, if you are an under motor and watching how they do this, because I think um, there's so many different styles and it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. So an example of me being vulnerable is, um, so I am an under motor. And so me even just sharing how I'm feeling is going to be like, whoa, like she's sharing how she's feeling. And people are going to sort of like tune in a little bit more versus, you know, if you're already an overmotor, it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Like, we know how you're feeling. Um, so that means that when I do share emotions, it can be more powerful. Um, so if I say something like, as a leader, I just want you to know that I am also dealing with anxiety right now. And in the past, I have found that I wish that I had shared this more because I think there's power in sharing this. And I want you all to know that like, it's okay to have that feeling. I'm not going into like that. I'm in therapy, you know, that I had a breakdown last week, you know, any of that. It's just stating it in a way that is, um, authentic for me and how I share my emotions, um, that can still be extremely powerful. And then I think what you spoke about there was like powerful because it shows the leader setting the behavior. And it's something that I've spoken a lot about on this podcast, but sometimes it can be the other way around where it's just someone sharing and then a leader needs to respond. So, um, I wanted to share some of the struggles that I sort of, I've sort of had as I've been working through during this time. Um, and like, so like just particularly this week has been incredibly challenging on multiple levels. And, you know, I could feel emotions building up inside and I could like feel them, especially in like a certain meeting and like, rather than hold them tight, I kind of let them flow over the emotional resistance wall that we can all build inside of ourselves. And, you know, like I, I openly cried during a meeting and really just let someone know what I was feeling and how it was impacting me. And, you know, I have no shame in, in admitting that. I'm a big advocate for mental health and having conversations about um, what's happening. And I knew I could do that because it was a container of trust inside of that conversation where I knew that those emotions wouldn't be weaponized by that person. They, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't affect my performance review, you know, that Damon cried in a meeting. But like some leaders might not have built that container with their, their team or they might not even know how to respond So do you have advice for a leader who might have someone who wants to be a little bit more of an over-emoter, but might not have the tools right now to be able to respond to that? Mm, Yes. And thank you, Damon, for sharing that. That's, I think the more that we share that, the more that we share that it's, it's just such a normal human reaction. I always say about tears, it's like, you're having a human reaction. <laughs> you're having a strong emotional reaction to something and that it, it's a normal response. Like tears are a normal response to them. Um, I think you sort of posed two things in there. So, so one is like, how do you create the space for others to do that? So part of that honestly is modeling it yourself. Like I think as much as you say, you know, I'm here for you as a manager, it, it, I'm, I want to hear how you're doing. Like if you are not sharing there's less 
trust and there's, there's less safety. And then I think the other thing is like, how, how do you respond to that as a manager? If, if that does happen? Um, so I think we all put, we need to put more value on listening and, um, you know, in, in a moment when someone is coming to you with a strong emotional reaction, just being with them and being present for that and sort of honoring that and not trying to contain it, not trying to solve it, but just being witness to that and saying, I hear you and I hear how hard that is. And then after that emotion has passed, following up with that person. But in a moment of a lot of emotions, it's we don't have the capacity to go into problem solving mode or to sort of turn those nerves off. And so it's only after we get through that, that we can come back and say like, you know, you know, a day later for you or something like, you know, thank you for sharing those emotions. I want to make sure that I'm best supporting you, um, as we move forward with this, or, you know, that you're doing okay with that. Um, so separating those two things, I think so often we're quick to like, there were tears, so we must immediately solve the thing or, you know, talk about how to make it not happen. Um, because we're so uncomfortable sitting with that emotion. Um, so honestly, a tool for managers is just, you know, count to 10, breathe, like let that emotion that that other person is expressing sit there and then, um, you know, come back to it at a later time. Um, I'm curious what made you feel safe to express that emotion with that person? Um, I think the trust had been built up over a period of time and mm-hmm. that there was, there was two way trust, like the, the shoe had been on the other foot where that person had also shown vulnerability and I've been able to coach them. And um, I think it's been one of the most powerful ways that I've, I guess, grown throughout my career is to sort of always look at my mentor or manager relationships as like an opportunity to have two-way coaching and two-way mentoring and not it be a a one-way street. If it's a one-way street, what you um, can only really see is like uh, you see how they behave but you don't get a chance to mirror it. And I think mirroring is one of the best ways to develop and grow is actually say like, how do I do this myself? Like, how do I actually be this person and like see some of these behaviors? So because I'd seen it um, in the past as well as being that support network for that person, it felt um, it was easier for me to let that wall down. And I think for a lot of people, that wall sometimes is made of sticks, other times it's made of bricks. And it just, uh, the, the more trust that's there, I think the easier it is to actually let those emotions out. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to respond to that. Um, I do think, you know, a good rule of thumb that I share is if that hasn't been established. So, you know, that wall hasn't been broken down and you're sort of questioning, like, is this something I can share with this person? A good question to ask yourself is how would I feel if this person shared that with me? So speaking of that reciprocal relationship. So, um, you know, and it can be a little tricky when it is um, a difference in the hierarchy. So if you're talking to your boss, but I think we're, you know, again, we're still human. So, um, you know, let's say you're going through um, something difficult, even outside of COVID, like, um, you know, you're, you're going through a breakup or something like that. And you were to say, you're, say to yourself, if my boss shared this with me, would I feel honored that he or she had entrusted this with me? Or would I feel like, whoa, that's a lot. That's an overshare. That's too much information. And then you can assume that it would be the same, um, for how that person would feel if you shared it with them. Mm. Um, which I I feel like is sometimes helpful in just like getting through that initial 
<laughs> it's, it's like, who's going to go first? Like, who's going to get vulnerable first? Because once one person is, you're right, we do mirror and and then we sort of have that. It's such a natural thing. And, and that's even how we we make friends with each other is like you share something vulnerable and then I share something vulnerable. And so that tends to happen. Yes. We, we don't want to end up in uh it's, it's not a battle of who can be more vulnerable. Uh, it's <laughs> a, and I think, yeah, that's such a great question around. And certainly something that I think many people struggle with is like, should I share this emotion? Should I go there? And like, just like before you do have a quick uh, sort of, self-check and say if it was shared back to me like how will this make me feel and like do I feel like there's trust in this relationship and do I feel comfortable with this because I think that's one of the hardest parts is knowing uh there's like that nerve before you put your hand up in class right like do I do I do this thing or not and it's like then then you commit and you're like that wasn't that bad but then sometimes you're like what have I said and (laughs) um you need those questions to be able, able to check in absolutely do you think this current environment that we're all operating in right now is allowing us to share more emotions at work? Generally, yes. There, you know, there are a few exceptions to the rule where it's um, some companies are like, well, you know, we're going to keep on operating exactly like we were before all this. But in general, yes. And I think the reason for that is we're all just having more emotions, um, ambient emotions um, at home, at work, when we're doing work at home. And so uh, it's just natural for some of that to, to bleed into the workplace. Um And so I think then organizations that are evolving are creating the space for that because we need the space for that. Um, And so, you know, again, that looks like the check-in questions, the beginning, every meeting, it looks like leaders sharing a little bit more with what they're going through. Um, And I think when we work at home, our personal lives bleed in a little bit more. And so, um, that just naturally comes up. So when kids are running around, when partners are running around all of these, the, you know, the difficulties of parenting or keeping yourself from getting distracted are just like literally visibly more (laughs) there. And so they come up with just a lot more than they did when we were all in an office together, separate from things that, you know, cause stronger emotions. Yeah, that brings up such a fascinating point around like I'm seeing so many conversations right now where people are saying, I'm so happy that there's more like a more human element to our work. And, you know, we're not getting upset about like children being in the background of videos or children just being in the videos. Um, and, you know, and we're also like sometimes directly looking into the homes of our colleagues, right? So, you know, we've been speaking as an industry about work-life integration for a very long time. And the final boundary between those two things was the commute to the office. And now for so many people, that's just gone. Um, and I think what, what we're witnessing is the blurring of the personal and professional emotions in the workplace. So not just the personal and professional life or the integration of it, but it's actually the emotions. And one thing that I know you've spoken about in the past, and I'd be fascinated to see how is this term changing in this current environment is emotional contagion. Mm. And, you know, it used to spread in the office around like so-and-so's anxious or someone, you know, someone's a loud typer. So now everyone's getting like anxious, like there was that um, emotional contagion. But now one thing that I've been conscious of, and if my roommate listens to this episode, he'll know that I'm conscious of it, is that like if I have a really good day, right, at work, which is also my home, and he doesn't, how does that impact his day in his life, right? Versus if he has a really bad day and I'm having a good day, how does that kind of change? So emotional contagion to me is now this really blurred space between my personal life, my professional life, and it's impacting um, 
everything. Like, are you seeing that change um, dramatically from how you used to think about emotional contagion? Yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, like like all big um, sea changes, which is what I feel like this is, it's like there's some good and some bad. So, like, yes, let's celebrate that um, we are recognizing that people are humans and they have families and needs outside of work. At the same time, we are getting a lot more emotional contagion. So emotional contagion, um, the easiest way to describe this is um, if my husband is in a bad mood at home, I'm, I might catch that bad mood from him in the morning uh, before you know I used to go into the office. And then I might spread that bad mood to one of my colleagues. And then my colleague might go home and spread that mood to her roommate or partner. And so it can actually transfer from two people who do not know each other um, through the workplace. So if we think about that in a COVID context, um, we now are in an atmosphere where we are around a lot more people who are not working with our family members, our roommates. And so we just pick up a lot more on that because we're in this home environment. And then that does come out in, in a you know video call and can spread from there. I also just think it is healthy to have some boundaries and we can talk about, you know, what the return to work looks like, but I don't think any psychologist or therapist would say that this is the ideal work environment, which is like all of us from home 24 seven. And I think part of that is, um, we do like to compartmentalize as humans and we do like to have separate identities as humans. And it is helpful to have a physical separation to go, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking about this emotional thing that's going on in my personal life. I go to work and I get a break from that. Same thing. I go to work. I have this difficult thing going on. I go home and I get away from that. There's something so strong about an emotion, uh, physical environment that helps us switch off um, the emotional processing that is going on in our lives. And we just simply can't do that right now. And so things tend to, um, foment a lot because we're just like, we're just sitting in them all the time. There's, there's no break from it. Um, you know, it's like I shut my computer down, but like I'm still, um, in the same place that I was when I was doing my work. So it's, you know, it's still physically, um, there. So, yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you seen that happening at all in, in your organization or others that you've witnessed? Yeah. And I think talking about contagion in this time is also, I know it doesn't feel like the right word. Um, and we don't want anything spreading that, that, that shouldn't be, but I think it used to happen in, in the office in a way where we would kind of feel it and see it, right? Like you were kind of like, you could maybe see in like a meeting room and you're like, that, that doesn't look like it's going well. <laughs> and then like, so then people start going, what's happening in that meeting room? Is everything okay? But now it's like, it's happening through weird different cues. And like, we're, we're searching for emotional contagion because we actually want more context. Uh, and, you know, so much of our work has become async, right? So it's like, we're looking for some of that context in that emotion in, in text and emails in updates, right? So then it's like, I think in some ways it's spreading a lot in between, you know, like you said, to people that don't even know each other. But I think we also are looking for it to spread a little bit more in between our teams and offices because we need more context right now to operate with certainty. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's, it's certainly spreading more, um, right. So like from family or roommates into your work, but absolutely we're missing that general vibe. And I, you know, I've seen organizations 
send out surveys about this, you know, just like, how are you doing with working from home? What are you thinking about when you go back to the office? You know, what's been difficult about that? Um, which I think is, you know, a valiant effort, but it, it, it's hard to sometimes get to the emotional nuances. Um, and that's why I do think having leaders or team managers reach out to folks one-on-one and then share that back out. So, um, you know, I think one of actually the terms that um, CultureAmp uses that I have used in a lot is you never want the um, the um, rate of measurement to exceed the rate of like analysis or sharing Mac. Mm. I think that's, did I get it right? Yeah, like don't survey faster than you can take action. Yes, exactly. So it's like, great. So you as a leader, you've talked to all these people individually. You know what's going on with that, but like no one else does. Um, And so creating the space to say like, hey, I've actually talked to each one of you individually. Here's what I'm hearing about what's difficult. Um, Here's what I'm hearing about what's going well, what people are. So like uh, reporting back on on some of that can be really helpful. Yeah, because... I think what you don't want to get into a situation is where like people are just being bombarded for like, what are your emotions? Are you okay? Do you feel comfortable coming back to work? What are your fears? And you're like, oh my God, like just why do you want them? Like, what are we going to do about it? Like, yes, you definitely should be listening to your employees right now. There's so much that needs to be said and heard, but you also like, it needs to lead to something. Like you can't, if you just ask us all to be super emotional at work with like, no, like, and here's how we're going to do something about it, or here's how we're going to change our norms, or here's how we're going to use this to make our culture better. That's a dangerous path to go down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's two big themes that I wanted to kind of touch on. One of them was around symbols and rituals, but also just like how to think about presenting information as well so that we can actually take it in. And I think one thing that uh, you've been part of is, you know, through your book as well as through your Instagram account is the Liz and Molly graphics about what's happening in the world right now. And I did a bit of a deep dive and like when you started them and like, you know, like what do they look like? Like I think in 2017, the first one was kind of posted and, you know, 250, 300 likes and like people going, oh, yes, this really resonates with me. Now it's like I'm seeing them shared left, right, and center, all around the world. You know, other people have been on this podcast uh, are sharing them as well. And, you know, they're getting 15,000 plus likes. And it seems like it's really striking a chord with people. And I think it's because, you know, it's a combination of visuals and humor to describe what a lot of people are working through right now. Um, And there's definitely a theme of like office politics a little bit. You know, I think Dilbert did that a long time ago, but more in a satirical way. I think what you're doing is like touching on the, the the raw emotions about office politics. And I'm wondering, as you've been like building out that kind of, you know, those graphics and that content, are you seeing a new version of office politics come up that is really resonating with people that was different to maybe what you might have been posting, say, in 2019? Mm, yes. Well, first of all, I want to give credit. So um, I co-wrote the book with Liz, who's my co-author, and she is the illustrator. And um, so I can't, I, you know, we, we collaborate, but she is the one who does the illustrations. Um, and I think Liz has a really unique ability to visualize what is difficult to verbalize. And that is why I love working with her so much, because she can take these really meaty things that we're discussing and, and boil them down to like a graph or like a pie chart or something. And they're, you know, sort of profound in their simplicity. Um, and 
Um, you know, no, I, I think, um, it's not different. It's just, um, more like, it's like we are, it, we, we, that's what I think is so, so interesting about this is like, we already were talking about how important emotions are at work. And I feel like now people are like, oh yeah, like they are really important. And I now have the space to talk about them a little bit more at work, or I'm being expected to talk about them a little bit more at work. And so I think there's just more engagement and acknowledgement um, around them. And I, I think part of what it is, is um, we don't have a lot of good models for talking about emotions at work. So, you know, we, we grew up, talking about our emotions with our family members, with our friends, with our significant others. And yet like there was no model of, of how do we talk about emotions at work because the workplace very much, you know, the modern workplace was designed by and large, you know, by men for men and, and, you know, nothing against men, but I think men traditionally have been, um, raised or socialized to not express their emotions, um, as much. And so we're seeing this sort of sea change in, in that, in the workplace. Um, but because of that, we don't have a lot of like models for how we talk about that. And so it's like, we're 13. It's like, we're like teenagers and adolescents of like, how do I say that this is difficult? Or how do I say that I like this person or that I appreciate what they're doing? We all get sort of awkward about it. Um, and so I think a lot of her illustrations get at that. Um, and that's also why I think metaphors are so helpful during this time because they help us take something that we know how to talk about or that we already have in a framework for and, and apply it to this new thing that we, we don't yet. So one of the ways that I've been talking about this time period is it feels like a long distance relationship where, um, it gets more normal like as you spend more time away from uh, your significant other, you're like, well, this is just how it is. You know, we don't see each other, but it gets exponentially harder. So it's like these two conflicting things of, well, this is the norm now. We don't go into the office, but like that doesn't mean it's easier. In fact, it means it's, you know, sometimes harder because we're getting further and further away from what was normal or, or what we would like to be. Um, so I think, you know, for leaders or, you know, if, you know, within your team, finding ways to think about creative metaphors, um, can also be helpful along with illustrations. I'm a big fan of metaphors. I, I once had a mentor who I think he loved metaphors as much as I did. And sometimes our, our entire one-on-one -on -one was just metaphors. And <laughs> then, so metaphors are great, but you also need to talk about some other things, not just the metaphor to explain it. Otherwise you can go in circles for a time. So if that mentor is listening, I think you know exactly who you are and I'm still <laughs> a fan of metaphors, but we need to balance them out. I want to share two of my favorite ones that um, sort of really struck oh, a, a chord for me. Um, well, one of them was about the villains of the workplace. And there was the loud typer, the loud chewer, the loud bubblegum blower, and the loud talker. And I think when I say that, potentially some people are getting visuals of examples of you know people they've worked with in the past for all of those. But I'm wondering, are there new villains entering the virtual workplace that we should know about? Because a lot of those are all in-person kind of you know um, behaviors. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I was like, that feels so anachronistic like oh yes I was just talking to someone the other day about like remember when like all we complained about was like the air conditioner in the office yeah. <laughs> like oh god like I miss the temperature fluctuations in the <laughs> office um yeah that's a good question um I don't know I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too what comes to mind for me is um 
I think people interrupting, I think that is so much more difficult to deal with in a virtual context uh, because you don't have the visual cues. And so people who don't like pause and leave space before they jump in or just, you know, straight up start talking when someone else is in the middle of their sentence. Um, I also think there are people who try to create space for themselves to talk by saying, okay, two things to that. And it's like, they're setting up like, okay, you have to wait and listen to me because I have two things to say. And that is like a real pet peeve of mine of like, okay, like if you have two things, just say it. But it's like sort of, I don't know, it feels like announcing your, your self-importance. Um, um, but mainly I have been trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. So like, sure, there's annoying behaviors, but I also know that none of us are in our ideal work situation right now. None of us are being as productive as we would like to be. And so, um, I think I have maybe a little bit more tolerance for these, uh, quirks than I normally do, but I don't know what, what comes up for you. Well, on the one that you shared, I would assume that if there's villains, we need heroes. So I think the hero that we need for your example is like designate facilitators for your meetings who can play a role that says like, I'm going to interrupt here because we're, we have an agenda or like we haven't heard from this person. And I want to make sure everyone's voice is heard. So for the, um, for the person who just interrupts for the sake of just having their voice heard with, you know, feedback on something that didn't need feedback, the facilitator I hope can be the hero, but the villain that comes up for me is um, one minute before the meeting ends and the person goes one last thing and it's like the emotional or like work context like bomb that they drop and it's like we know that there's, we're not going to get through this in 60 seconds and we're all going to be like 10 minutes late for this next meeting. So it's like how do you schedule out <laughs> when that person does that thing and like let's not do it right before the end of the meeting. I love that. Yeah, that is uh, a real problem. The other one that um, really struck a chord with, with me was the uh, what I write versus what I mean comparison. <laughs> um, and that one really struck a chord, especially during this time, is because written communication is even more critical to how work and meaning is being uh, made right now. And the example there was, you know, when I write, sorry for the delayed response, uh, what actually we are saying is, I saw your email, I forgot to respond right away, then it turned into this whole thing that I've been anxious about for weeks and that one hit me way too close to home. Yeah. 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 It is. Um, there's all these like shorthand things that we use in, in emails that it's like, you know what I mean? And I know what I mean, but I'm just not going to say what I mean. Um, and you know, part of me is like, I guess there's, you know, some, some reason for that we're, we're keeping some sort of decorum, but you know, also like, let's let, let it go. Um, yeah. So I think digital communication is, is a big thing because we are missing all of those emotional context cues. And so it is so much more important to over communicate your emotions. Um, so like emotionally proofreading what you're going to send to say like, you know, how might someone interpret this? Um, if, they weren't with me right now. Um, emojis can be really helpful for this. Um, also just picking up the phone, you know, instead of sending the email slack or, or um, text um, can be helpful. Um, I think it's really easy to emotionally inflame an issue through an email. Um, usually you don't make an emotional issue better through an email. Um, and then I, yeah, I think there's a lot around, um, 
you know, the, the stuff that we, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness that happens around the things that, that we communicate. And, um, I do think trying to catch ourselves on that, um, like I'm sure you meant this, you know, it's like, okay, well, a better way to handle that would have been, I'm curious what you were trying to get at through this and just have a more open conversation. Yeah, which I think ties into giving feedback and when you're giving feedback, especially if there's an emotional undertone that you're trying to read into or that you think is there, is to not give that feedback based on a fact, is to say like, you know, the story I, I tell myself about this is, or like, you know, what I think I'm I'm reading is this, you know, could you clarify? Um, as opposed to saying that, you know, that last email was blunt and it offended people or, you, you know, it was blunt to you maybe, but that maybe was not their intention and you can't assume other people were offended. So it's like the story I tell myself is that, you know, um, maybe you wrote that email in a really short space of time and you sent it from your phone while doing something else and it might not have uh, landed in the way that you hoped. You know, is that true? That provides a very different conversation about the emotions behind written text, which I think, um, you know, we are firing off more text quicker than ever that um, if you do overanalyze those things, it can lead you down this kind of potentially uh, nauseous path of like reading well into everything way too much. Yes, absolutely. You know, we've spoken a lot about um, emotional norms and how to create some sort of symbols and rituals around this. And um, one of my kind of favorite sayings is that company values should be turned into, you know, from banners into behaviors. You know, things that used to be up on walls and said to things that you could actually live and do and, and name when you see them. And I think it's because I've spent most of my career either in people teams where I've used marketing ideas to help my people ideas stick, or I've been in marketing roles, marketing why people should like learn more about being in the, you know, people and culture space. And one of my favorite examples of a company turned a value into a, into a behavior that I, I think is really focused on emotions is the uh, 10-5 way at the Ritz-Carlton. Um, and the reason I love it is because it's memorable, actionable, and repeatable. Do you have any other examples or stories based on the work that you've done where you've seen, you know, like really positive use of emotions in the workplace being used so effectively? Yeah. Well, so first, yes, I totally agree. I think that, um, it was like for a while, it was like, we were trying to get everyone to write values. And, and, and I feel like in doing that, um, sometimes it became in name only, um, which is honestly worse than not having any values. <laughs> like I'd rather you, uh, not have any values than have values that, um, you know, are, are really like no one knows what they are or, or are in name only. So Dropbox comes to mind and they had a value around, I think it was called cupcake and it was like this really intangible one. And, you know, they had like more, um, uh, like they sent their new employees, uh, a welcome kit that had like a cupcake, um, mix in it, but it was really about like being civil to each other and like the, we are like, it's sort of like the no asshole rule. Like we are not going to be angry at each other or if we are angry, we're going to deal with it in a healthy way. Um, and so it's like, when I talk to people who work at Dropbox, they're like, this is like the most like positive, nice, civil environment that I have ever worked in. 
Um, and so, you know, I think I, I would have to know more about what they've done to make that behavior actionable, but I think it's a, it's a really good one around emotional norms, um, which is like, you know, treat each other like humans. Um, and, and I think it's interesting that it comes up in this, like in this, like cupcake in a more tangible way, because I think adding emotions to your values can be tricky because they can come off as somewhat like trite. If you just say like, be positive, like that's one of my least favorite values. Um, and yet like, I, you know, I do think that it is helpful to, to have that as a behavior that's tricky. It's one of those, those fine lines that companies have to kind of balance, which is like, how do we make it like actionable and something that people can repeat and have that behavior side, but not at, like be so light and fluffy that it just like, like be happy all the time. It's like, that's not going to help anyone. Like, you know. Yeah. And then the other one that comes to mind, so, you know, I worked at IDEO for five years and they um, certainly have like a really strong um, set of values that are used in conversation all of the time. Um, and one of them is around embrace ambiguity, which also gets at emotions and how you sort of saw that come up in behavior was, you know, even before COVID, it's like we're working on these big problems with uh, uncertain outcome, uncertain deliverables, and that that can be really emotionally challenging. And so we have to actually help each other embrace ambiguity. So it's not just like there's a commandment to do that, but it's like, let's as a team recognize that this is a moment of like extreme ambiguity and like, let's check in about how we're feeling around that. How do we get through the choppy waters of the middle of every IDEO project, which is like, what are we doing? And like, are we going to make it through? And so it was shared language around like, this is hard. And like, you're not alone in feeling that it is hard. I wanted to look at the comparison of surface level emotions versus deeper emotions. And I think in many ways, how we are working right now is encouraging us to go much deeper into our emotions because we're just having a much deeper experience, you know, as a society. But we're also using virtual tools and the environments that we're doing it typically only fosters surface level emotions. So, you know, it's like our want and our need is like feel all the emotions that we're feeling because it feels natural right now, but then it's like, but do it on a Zoom call. So how do you kind of see this imbalance um, happening inside of a company that might actually potentially impact like the long-term emotional culture of the organization. Yeah. First of all, I think there's some workplaces where you do have to still do a fair amount of surface acting. So, you know, any organizations where you're in customer service or dealing with clients, it's like, yep, that's still going to stay <laughs> at a surface level. And that's sort of how it has to stay, um, you know, but between colleagues within an organization, I think there is a little bit more room for that deep space. Um, so I still think that body language is important. And one of the things that I've been counseling folks is like, we all don't want to have that video on eight hours a day and nor should we. And so like, it's okay to turn the video off, um, for, you know, parts of the call. But I think keeping that video on for the first five minutes can be really helpful for us to just like, you know, I think if we were to say, okay, we are going to use the first five minutes to check in and we are going to actually look at each other and look at each other's body language. And then we're just going to turn it off because I think what's happening a lot of times is we're just so overstimulated that we're like, okay, I'm going to keep it on for an hour, but I'm not going to look at it for more than 30 seconds of that hour, which is like totally defeats the point of the video. But we, you know, it's impossible to have it, you know, look, be looking at it for an hour. So 
I do think, you know, I've, I've gotten on calls where like, you know, you just see people's shoulders slumped or you're like, how are you? And it's like deep sigh. And I do think that that's okay and helpful. It's like, yeah, like let's use some of that nonverbal stuff to be like, you know, I've also heard people like get sarcastic, sarcastic with it. Like just being like, you know, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Like never been better. And, you know, having some humor with it too, just breaks it up a little bit. Um, and so, um, as much as we can pushing out of that innate response of like, I'm fine. Or, you know, you know, Oh, I'm doing as well as I can. And just like sitting with it and even letting it come out through our body language, um, a little bit more can be helpful. I hadn't heard that one. And it was around like, I think we're all talking about check-ins and like do the human stuff first, do the human stuff with video, like really mean it, turn everything else off, shut down your Slack, close your email, look at the camera, be real, like physically, like look at where the camera is, like have that moment with each other and then be okay with turning it off or like going in, into a, um, you know, sharing screen of a document and just working through some stuff. But like, I, I think it goes back to those em- emotional norms, like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to set it up. I'm asking for five minutes of realness at the start because like we're not, you know, we're lacking so many of the other ways that we used to build some of that emotional re- resiliency and connection. And then we're going to turn it off because yeah, there's nothing, you know, like eight hours of staring at th- that can be really tiring. And I, uh, I blew a few of my colleagues' minds the other day where I said one of the things that I've done because naturally our tendency is we get excited when we hear our name and when we see our face, we just stare at it. And then we say, do we really look like that? And that's draining. So what I've, I, I shared with them is like I hide my video, my videos on, but I minimize my face from the like Zoom call. And it means I still see everyone else, but I'm not staring at like myself. And like I saw four people just like their heads exploded. They were like, you can do that. I'm like, yeah, like this, like, you know, it's not natural to like look at your responses and emotions and your behaviors for a whole meeting. Like it's just not normal. Yes. Such a good tip. Love it. So finally, like imagine you've listened to this, you started this like episode as an absolute naysayer that emotions have no place in the workplace and, you know, that somehow that naysayer is still listening. What advice do you have to that person who's reached the end of this conversation and still holds the notion that there is no place for emotions in the workplace? Yeah. So I think um, that person um, in this time period is most likely coming from a place of not feeling like they know how to deal with the emotions, not feeling like they have the capacity to deal with them. Because I, I just don't think that you can live in this time period and say, well, there's, that's not happening or there's no place for them because they are coming up. And, and even if you aren't creating this space for them, they're bubbling up in other ways in your, in your workplace that are probably less healthy um, if you're not creating the space for them. But I, but I do hear that um, I think a lot of leaders are just afraid of like, I don't, I wasn't raised or I, I was not taught as a leader with how to deal with this. And so the easier thing for me is just to like go along business as usual. And so what I would say to that person is that the bar is really low. And I don't mean that in a like condescending way, but like, any effort that you do around being vulnerable, creating the space for others to talk about their emotions, um, acknowledging what some emotions that your employees or colleagues are feeling will be met with 
gratitude. Um, so it doesn't need to be perfect, um, but any effort is is good and that it, it only gets easier. So like, um, you know, sort of what you were saying of like breaking down the emotional wall, it's like, yeah, it does feel really scary when you do it the first time. And then you sort of realize like, I'm still here. And in fact, people responded to that well. Um, and I think another reason why it can feel difficult is you're not getting that feedback. Like you're not getting that hallway conversation feedback of like, Hey, I really appreciated that you shared that. Um, and so, you know, if you are, if you, if you feel scared to do that, go ahead and do it and then ask for feedback after and say, you know, how do how do you think that landed during the team meeting or, you know, um, that feel like the right amount of information or emotions to share. So to, to, to ask for that, that feedback, um, but it's really just, it's not a, an option not to at this point. Yeah, I, I love that response because I think you could say the same about organizational culture and like emotions. It's like you can pretend they don't exist. You can like say that it's not important, but like it does exist. And like whether you do something about it or not, like that's your choice. But like emotions exist and like containers and your culture and how you work exist. Your workplace will be better if you spend time focusing on it. And like, even if it's hard, even if it's something that you haven't spoken about in the past. And I'm hoping that a lot of the framing at the start of this conversation and some of those terms help people understand that there's different ranges and that not everyone needs to be the same and that there is emotional fluency here and that you can have different um, ranges of that. And it's just about having that conversation because now more than ever, I think it's just incredibly naive to say that there's no place for emotions at work because this is one of the most, you know, stressful um, time periods that so many people are working through. So hoping that this conversation helps that person have that first conversation potentially. Absolutely. Thank you to Molly Westoffy for joining me on the Culture First podcast. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable to listen to as it was for me to partake in. It was raw, it was emotional, and I learned a lot. So I wanted to share some of my big aha moments with you. The first one was... What level of emotions are you bringing to work? Are you an under-emoter, an even-emoter, or an over-emoter? I think it's important for us to understand this about ourselves, but to also bring this language into the workplace so that we can share this with our colleagues. The second aha moment, I was struck by the importance of permissions and providing more context during this time. If you listen to my episode on resilience with Tanya Luna, we spoke about making this, you know, the time of just because, sharing more context about how we're trying to work through it during this time. Now, my third aha moment was this concept of emotional contagion and how it's blurring the lines even more between home, life, and work. And then my final aha moment was that it's really normal to be experiencing a range of different emotions at work. But before you share them potentially with your colleagues, ask yourself, if this was shared back to you, would you feel honoured that it was shared or would you feel like it was an overshare? That quick question is a good way to check ourselves before we share some of these emotions because we also need to remember that we're sharing some of that with the other person and that does come with its own level of burden potentially. Now, there is plenty of great content, not just from this podcast, but in the rest of part four. There's articles, guides, downloads and videos about how to face turmoil with emotional intelligence. There's one piece that I really wanted to call out because um, I was really just blown away by, by the conversation. And it was a conversation between the CEO of Calm and the CEO of CultureAmp about how they're working through it as leaders. So you can see all of that content at culturefirst.com slash working through it. 
Now, before we wrap up, if you've been enjoying the series, then it would mean the world to the team that works on this podcast if you leave a review. Now, if you do, you need to make sure you listen to the advice of Molly and make sure that your feedback for us is actionable because we always want to learn what's resonating with you and how we can make this podcast better. So please leave a review um, if you have a few moments today. Now, finally, remember, we want to learn how you're working through it as well. So share with us how you're working through it by using the hashtag working through it and then specifically culture first podcast. And you can tag me at Damon Klotz so I can join in the conversation. So I hope you've learned some incredible tips from Molly about emotions at work. And I want to thank you again for listening. And until next time, have a great day.